Pray with me one more time. Father, as we enter into this time where we open up your holy and inerrant word, I pray that you would help these truths not only land in our cognitives, but also seep into our emotions and act out in our daily volitions. I pray that your word will encompass all of us and use the time that we have now uh, to study it well and deeply. And let us uh, uh, leave everything that's entangling us right now so we can focus on uh, your word for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shalom, friends. This is the third week that we are worshiping under PPKM restrictions. And though it's, it was a little inconvenient for the staff to pivot like this and organize the whole worship service somewhere else, a little uncomfortable for me trying to preach with this mask on. I can smell my own breath. It's not great. And maybe a little scary considering the rates of infections lately and maybe a little discouraging for those of you watching at home, feeling like you have to have a diminished worship service watching through whatever device. But despite all this, after worshiping like this for the past couple of weeks, I'm actually really thankful that we still decided to meet in person and not go online. I'm thankful because at the same time, the Spirit really rebuked me through this experience. You see, when the Omicron wave hit, the staff and the elders were really considering what we should do. And full disclosure, I thought what we should do was go back to being online until things get better. Because I thought that a 15-minute sermon would be nangung, I mean, like half decent. And going to all this trouble while like 85, 90% of our members couldn't be here just doesn't seem worth it. So for all the staff who disagreed with me, thank you. Because man, I was seriously wrong. Because my role here as a minister is not to give you theological content. And you guys aren't here simply as an audience to some kind of show we're putting on. But the Lord reminded me that why we're gathered here, how the very purpose of a church gathering is to facilitate our participation in the kind of blessedness that the Lord had uniquely designed to be enjoyed in the gathering of God's people. So today's sermon, we'll be studying a short psalm that reflects on what the experience of this blessedness is like. And I've discussed this psalm in a few places before, and I think in a liturgy, but I think considering the circumstances, it's worth meditating on again today. And there are at least two things from this psalm that we can learn about why being together with God's people is a beautiful thing. Two reasons for why gathering to worship is worth the trouble. Only two points today. Worshiping together is good and pleasant because there, one, we experience grace, and two, we find our spiritual home. Worshiping together is a good and pleasant thing because there we experience grace and we find our spiritual home. So let us turn our Bibles or our devices to Psalm 133 to listen to what God is saying to us. This is the Word of God. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord had commanded the blessing, life forevermore. May the Lord soften our hearts and give us ears to hear as we study his words. Fifteen minutes starting now. Corporate worship 
is a profound privilege because there we experience grace. So the first thing I want to note here is that this psalm is a collection of, uh, I mean, it's part of a collection of psalms called the Psalm of Ascents. And most Bible scholars believe that these psalms are songs that the Israelites would sing as they would make their pilgrimages to Jerusalem on one of their three major festivals. So Jews would go out of their way from wherever they happen to live and to make it up there so that they can worship as the Bible tells them to. And guys, I must emphasize, if you didn't know this, that it was not easy to get to Jerusalem back then. As you can imagine, there were no paved roads or convenient modes of public transportations to get to Jerusalem back there. There were no cable cars to get up this hill. Because Jerusalem is actually located on a pretty steep hill. So you can, you know, easily fall or injure yourself or worse. It's pretty dangerous. And these narrow roads are perfect places for bandits to rob you and take everything uh, from you that you're trying to offer in the temple. So you can imagine the hassle. Most of us only need to get up a little earlier than usual and nowadays put a mask on for a couple of hours and even then it's a struggle. But those guys back then, they were basically risking it all to get up there. Why would they do that? Well, as our psalm teaches us in verse 1, there's something worth the trouble. Something that the psalmist calls good and pleasant. The dwelling of brothers in unity. Or more literally, it's more like when siblings live also together. You see, the Bible talks about the coming together to worship as the people of God. It's not some formality or some ritual, but it's a family reunion. And although our own earthly family reunions could be more awkward and an obligation sometimes, the reunion of God's family is good and pleasant. And the psalm poetically unpacks this using two images. Now, the first image is in verse 2, right? It's like oil flowing from the head of Aaron to the collar of his robe, right? Now, this can sound pretty weird to us. Most of us probably wouldn't describe a guy drenched in oil as a pleasant sight. But if you're an Israelite, you'd get it. See, Aaron was a real person, the first high priest in Israel, but he is used here symbolically to refer to the whole priesthood of Israel. The people tasked with taking care of the temple they were going to, and the people whose job it is to perform these sacrifices and religious rituals the pilgrims were making this trip to Jerusalem to do. And this oil is this special kind of fragrant oil. In Exodus 30, it actually tells us what this oil is made of, and it gives off this cinnamony, woody, herbal smell. And this oil actually has a special use, right? It's an anointing oil to the, anoint the furniture of the tabernacle and the priest. And whatever this oil is sprinkled on is to be holy. Now, you know, people use fragrances to set the expectations for certain places all the time, right? Like when you walk into a spa and smell this herbal lemongrass or lavender smell, you know, you guys know what I mean. You automatically expect that this is a place where you can be relaxed and you're going to be pampered and you'll walk out of this place feeling clean and relieved of whatever dirt or aches were in your body. Likewise, for the Israelites, the smell, the fragrance of this anointing oil reminds them of something important and also very relieving. For them, this smell reminds them 
of the fact that in this place, in the temple that they were going to, that they get to be in right relationship with God. Because this was what the anointed priests were supposed to do. Mediate between God and His people so that their sins can be forgiven, so that their relationship can be good. So through the priests, the people of God were to be cleansed. And as the psalm reminds us, that it's not just a little bit of oil. It's a deluge. Meaning that there's not only a hint of forgiveness in its place, but there is a flood of grace that will reconcile us to God, available to us where His people has gathered. And it is this cleansing of sin that leads to peace with God that made all this effort of going to Jerusalem worth it for them. And this assurance of reconciliation, friends, is something that we too can experience now as God's people when we gather in our family reunion every Sunday. Now, don't get me wrong, right? Unlike the Israelites back then, our efforts to go to church and religious rituals do not make, is not what makes us have this good standing with God. It's not because of anything we do that we're in a peaceful relationship with God. Right? Because our Aaron, our high priest, is not in any earthly temple, but as the book of Hebrews teaches us, we have an eternal high priest that is in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, and he has offered up himself on the cross as a one-time sacrifice that's good for all time. So we stand forgiven in the eyes of God wherever we are. But why do we still need to gather before God's people? Well, let me propose that it's because if we neglect doing this, the fact of our salvation remains a theory and never enjoyed. It, makes, it never makes it from our heads to our hearts, and there is a mile between our heads to our hearts. So although our official status might be that we are saved, we won't be able to experience our salvation as a good and pleasant thing. It's like the difference between getting a text from someone you're in, you're in conflict with, hey, it's fine, and, the, and when this person wraps their arms around you and say, brother, we're good. And how precious, friends, and necessary it is to experience this sense of acceptance and assurance. We all are aware that we have done something that God is probably unhappy about, and we are often in a situation where we truly need uh, to have, an, have this awareness of God's comforting presence. We all read the news. We know that the world can be a lonely, dangerous, and cruel place. But as we hear the gospel preached to us, as we lift up our voices to sing these spiritual songs, as we pray for one another and lift each other up in fellowship, we can be freed of the hopelessness and despair that we can easily feel by this sin around us. And we're reminded of what Christ our great high priest has done for us. We are reminded of that he is now interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. And this renewed awareness of God's grace is this experience of the anointing oil talked about in the psalm. When we not only learn about our salvation, but we, are, we feel it and we are moved by the grace that has reconciled us to God. But it is only when this peace of God fills our hearts will we finally feel at home which is point two. Corporate worship is a profound privilege because there we find our spiritual home. So, whereas the first image focuses on the religious ritual the pilgrims look forward to, the second image 
in the first half of verse 3, focuses on uh, the geographic location that they were going to. Hermon is the tallest mountain in Israel, right? So the dew uh, that falls there in the morning evokes this picturesque, refreshing scene which they'll get to enjoy when they get up there. But what the psalm is saying is not that they were hiking up this hill to look forward to some scenic views. But this image actually points to the promises of God. You see, when you read the Bible and study the significance of Jerusalem and Mount Zion, what you can't miss is that first and foremost, Jerusalem is the city of God, His holy habitation that will be blessed forever. The city where God will come down and rule the earth forever. The prophet Isaiah says that when he does that, all the nations will flow and there will be no more war and disputes where the nations will turn their weapons of war and t- that take life and turn them into farming tools that create life. How much does the world need this right now? And the Apostle John in the book of Revelations takes this imagery and runs with it further that when Christ returns in glory to live among His people forever, this will be a city with golden, steets, uh, golden streets and pearly gates where every people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will finally be united, where God will wipe away every tear. This is the city that was supposed to be the home of God's people forever. Now, earthly Jerusalem itself was never a perfect city. For a lot of history, uh, for, for a lot of Israel's history, it was actually occupied by foreign nations. And the Bible tells us of many occasions when the leaders of Jerusalem, even the priests themselves, were corrupt. And, and although there were indeed many flaws and imperfections in earthly Jerusalems, when God's people were going up there, they were doing to, that to remind themselves of what the city was made for. They were reminded of God's promise to bring down heavenly Jerusalem, of which they are all citizens. And this was supposed to fill them with this hopeful expectation that God would build for them this heavenly city. And maybe this is a helpful analogy, right? So I just purchased and probably uh, my first and probably my only home, and um, I'm planning to raise my future family in it, right? And at this point, this home is still very much an empty building and a construction site, definitely not yet livable. But when I go there with the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, my heart is filled with joy, and I'm able there to visualize and imagine the life I'm going to live there, the joyful memories that will be made when I get to live there with my family. Now, the analogy breaks down because I still got to pay for that home, and the thought of how much it will take for me to furnish and maintain it can give me some panic attacks sometimes. But we don't need to worry about our efforts and if we're capable of making our heavenly home actually heavenly. Because our heavenly home is not built by human hands. But just like the dew of Hermon that descends from the sky, the Lord will bring this blessed city from heaven. And going to our earthly spiritual home, church, is a taste, a preview of how beautiful it is when we're going to finally get there. Friends, this is what our souls are really looking for when we go to church and when we gather with our family in Christ, a spiritual home, a place where we feel like we belong, a place that gives us meaningful hope for a better future, which we are certain to be a part of. 
Because when we're apart from God's people, we all will suffer the same spiritual homelessness, whereby we feel alienated from God and notice ourselves wandering because we feel lost or detached from that family, from that person which will truly satisfy us. And we often try to mitigate these feelings by trying, our, uh, trying to find our significance, security, and value somewhere else, focusing on building up our lives, finding new experiences or relationships, hoping that it can give us this beauty and fulfillment that can only be found in a lasting way in God. And these earthly and finite things might excite us for a while, but this feeling is always fleeting. They eventually lose their beauty and appeal, and you find yourself wandering again, wondering if there's something better, something more. And you guys know what I'm talking about. And if we fail to attain that which we believe will make us feel at rest, we can easily become defeated. Knowing that there should be more, there is more, but it's somehow unattainable for us because we just become resigned to the feeling that we'll never truly be satisfied. We will never be good enough for the blessings we think we can have, but we need to earn, believing we just need to make the best of our miserable lives. Brothers and sisters, our passage today reminds us that we can find our spiritual home now and that this blessing is available to us all. As David emphatically exclaims in verse 3, that in this place, God had commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The Lord, in His infinite grace, has given us a way to enjoy the blessings of our heavenly home, the blessings of eternal life before our earthly life ends. Because what does John 17.3 say is eternal life? I should have had that on screen, but if you look it up, it's a good one. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, friends, we don't have to wait for our earthly life to end before our eternal life begins. Because when we get to heaven, when we see our God face to face, what we'll be doing for eternity is taking pleasure in this knowledge of this eternal God with our spiritual family that will come from every nation, tribe, and tongue. This is what we're looking forward to. And we can start now with the family that lives close to us. The Christian life is not just about trying to survive until God fulfills His promises, but God has already fulfilled His promise. And right now, we got to enjoy the beta version, the free version, before later, we get to enjoy the full premium version in glory with Christ face to face. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how majestic are you? And you are worshipped here in your temple. Lord, we are so grateful that you have brought us through every trial that we can gather as your people, united, though we come from different places. Lord, let us never take that for granted. And may you continue to dwell among us and make your presence known and refresh our hearts with it, that we may hunger and thirst for it, for only it is in you, only it is only in your will, 
are we free? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.